Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. All right, we are back again with another episode of Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. Coming to you live from the Quad Cities at HQ here. <laughs> yeah, intergalactic. <laughs> Not one of our other global sites. We haven't shot to once, the moon Once yet. we have Space Force, maybe That's we'll, what I was have, say. we'll have like something on the moon or something. <laughs> our lunar office is, uh, I don't know, right by the man in the moon's eye or something. Yeah, there's got to be some... Uh, <laughs> There's got to be some high margin dollars in the safety equipment that's going to come from moon exploration or space exploration. you got to believe that you can mine something off of it. <laughs> Dig holes in it. Yeah. So, uh, Fred and Dave here with Quad City Safety. This episode presented by Quad City Safety. Safety. It's our life. It's your business. <laughs> so well, Everybody's got commercials, so, I mean. Yeah, we... We're just out here hammering the old-fashioned old way. Yes, yeah, us on the corner here just... Uh, putting our hat on the ground, asking for a few dimes. So today, the plan with the episode is to kind of talk about lockout tagout. But first, hey Dave, you have a good Father's Day. Was well, not bad, you know. What'd you do? The uh, finally tracked the kids down, but you know, I got one that just graduated high school, one that's a junior, and one going into eighth grade. And the eighth graders working on their she's going into eighth grade, but they do an annual trip, so she was doing one of these. Do you know they they run run a shack to make money to pay for the trip or whatever? So I finally tracked her down about six thirty, and I'm like, if we're gonna do a Father's Day dinner, <laughs> man, we're running out of time here. Get in the car. But no, it's good to just kind of reflect, and you know, you know, as we talk about safety, I think that you know, a lot of it is, you know, we get into spe- specific topics, but safety is only related to, you know being there for the people that are important to you. Yeah. Because them some bitches are going to need to eat at some point in time, and they're going to require dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Two and four at home, and so I'm still pretty much in the stage of mom says, go wake dad up, tell him happy Father's Day, and hand him this. To <laughs> yeah. Hand him this card. Yeah. Yeah, one of my kids gave me a – I can't remember exactly what the card said, but it was it was making fun of me, so – they're, okay. to, they're to that age that there's <laughs> where dad's that corny old dude they've kind of figured out that yeah i like him but man he's just a little off yeah so uh if you want to if you want to reach out to us or have any questions about the episode or past episodes or anything safety related uh you can reach out to us on our website at quadcitysafety.com uh dave and i are both on uh linkedin you can hit us up there or any other pretty much social media we We'll get it, and we'll uh, get your question answered. So, I tried to Google myself the other day, and it's amazing what's out there. Like, there's the main thing of David White is there's like a bland brand of like well, laser that's, beams. That's a John something. Smith, pretty much. Yeah, but it's kind of it was funny that the top search was like some kind of laser thing. Yeah, Fred David Ru- White, David White lasers. Yeah, Fred Redunzel is a little bit more specific. Oh, I'm but sure if you that... Google Fred Redunzel, someone's probably related to me. Yeah, especially since I'm the third. So it's either someone's dead. An obituary or... Yeah, yep. I gotcha. Or related to this podcast now. <laughs> That's starting to pop up Is under my real? name. Or uh, 2001 uh, Boys Tennis. Uh, 
type of thing. When you made your when I made my triumphant run to the eighth place in the state of Iowa, who's probably like the forty seventh best state in the in the country at tennis. Well, Madison Keys was close. That's true. It's quad cities. So, I mean, I I put that above forty seventh. <laughs> well, we I'm sure. We I'm one sure. Stud. Like. Uh, I don't know Montana. I'm sure that there's not a ton of talent in Montana. Warmer weather though, isn't it? Like a, a longer, warm weather season. Montana. Does Montana get have four seasons? Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Montana's way north of here. Yeah, but it's way way west. Okay. So it doesn't matter. It's worse. Worse. The winter's worse in yes. Montana. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I look at Montana as like Washington, it's North Dakota, bad. Okay. So, Montana, they stink at tennis. <laughs> I'm sure North Dakota's pretty much shit. All right, enough of our bullshit. Okay. Let's talk about some lockout tagout stuff. Um, first off, kind of, what is lockout tagout? How do you kind of define it? Well, again, you got to approach everything always from the hazard. Okay. Is lockout tagout is a methodology to keep people from getting into stored, whether it's potential or kinetic energy, and then facing the wrath of that. So, you know, anytime you're trying to enter something that can crush you, smash you, cut you into pieces, yeah, all that stuff, that's, that's where the methodology of lockout tagout, you know, comes from is you know if somebody's gonna repair or work on or needs to get in and maybe clean out a machine it's something that you have to stop and really think about well how do i know that somebody's not going to press the go button how do i know that like if i take back these screws off that there's not some you know some pressure there um, I'm going to flip this valve open. How do I know that it's not just charged with steam or hot water? So the thought process around lockout tagout is controlling stored, uh, again, either whether it's p- potential or kinetic energy, is making sure that we're protecting the person that's going to be doing a task from the wrath of that. Because when you talk about lockout tagout accidents, yeah. Those are where a lot of the, the just awful pictures on the internet, that's what they come from. When you see somebody lopped off a hand or right. or it's missing, you know, you know, they're missing a finger yeah. or went through a wood chipper type of, yeah, type there's, of situation. There's all kinds of all kinds of nastiness and you know, it's usually uh, gonna take off something. So, and and a high level of deaths occur in the workplace around you know stuff and a lot of times they're not always labeled to lock out tag out because it may be a be a crushed by or you know how osha classifies incidences uh you got to kind of dig into it to figure out what 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 lock out tag out is but lock out tag out is that uh methodology of locking out and tagging out so that you have put something that somebody has to key into or remove to get something turned on, and you've tagged it so that it's specific to a person. So that, that that's so, what I was going to say. That's so, you've, you've designated a person most likely yeah. 
a designated, I mean, I know there's groups and stuff like that, and we can touch on that in a bit, but designated a person that's basically controlling, you know, the unexpected energizing of a machine. And it should be the guy that's getting in there to... His ass is on the line. Yeah, he's the one that's going to be in harm's way. Okay. Um, So we kind of touched on it, but sort of a why do I need to be concerned about lockout, tagout, and you can be seriously here, like fatally injured. I mean, mean, there's still a ton of fatal injuries that happen. I mean, uh, how to say, it can even be, uh, you know, electrocutions. It can be, you know... It can be crushed by, it can be uh, losing, you know, how to say, fingers. I mean, it's it's usually, again, it's so wide open that that's why I sit there and go, when you talk about lockout, tagout, you got to sit there and go, does this have energy that somehow can hurt me? And then come up with, you know, a process that, you know, kind of takes a, takes a, there's multiple steps to get it done right. Yeah. I mean, maybe your lockout tagout plan is literally like you have one punch press that runs off of electricity. Okay. Okay. Well, people may go, well, just unplug the thing. Well, you got to make sure that somebody can't plug it in. Okay. But then how do we know that that punch press is, if I get in, I crawl in there to get whatever piece out of it. And it's a 10,000-pound press that's in an up position. How do I know when I get into it, all of a sudden, it's not going to go try to stamp another part out? Right. So it's not always as easy as just unplugging something. Sometimes there are controls or things that you have to to also do after that. Okay. Um, Some OSHA requirements on this thing. Employers must establish energy control procedures for removing the energy supply from machines. Train employees on the energy control program, including the safe application, and then inspect these procedures periodically, at least annually, uh, to ensure they are being followed and that they remain effective in preventing employee exposure to the hazardous energy. Um, You want to talk a little bit about, like, getting a program in place, maybe, and, like, what all... What all like the procedures would include? Well, you gotta, you kind of gotta work through it from, you know, of when you when you're starting. The first thing that you need to do is really try try to take a, a uh, an audit step, or kind of answer the questions of an audit in like Masterlock and Brady. A lot of the guys, Prins, you know, Prinzing's a brand of Brady, but you know, there's um, there's a lot of companies out there that can kind of help you through it. But you got first of all, you got to kind of have that written hazardous energy control program, lockout tagout program in place. So as you're doing that, is you got to figure out, you know, who who are the people that are going to be responsible for it, because you know it's it's a dynamic thing. It's not a static document. As you mentioned, it should be it should be reviewed. Um, and then you really kind of got to take that uh, that might come like you're getting lice out of your kid's hair and go through your facility and try to really figure out everything that would need to be serviced, repaired, maintained, and then figure out what the steps to, you know, to, to lock that stuff out is. And then a lot of times it's going to take materials to lock it out. 
then you're going to have to um, basically designate people that who are able to lock a machine, you know, lock them out, lock a machine out. And in that that document that we started with is where you would kind of put the the poly, the procedures on how to lock out. And some I've seen some really kick-ass things out there now that <clears throat> when you look at the uh, the procedure, it'll even have a picture of the machine. And literally, like arrows, like make sure you turn this switch off. Make sure you put this lockout hasp here. Right. There's an um, orange one. This is what the yep. orange one is for. Yep. Yeah. So that everybody understands, because even like you're saying, with you know, you can have different color locks. Is you know who's you know, is it a personal lock? Maybe it's a system lock. Maybe it's a managerial lock. There's all kinds of different things uh, that can go into it. But we've got in there and. We've we've done the process of figuring out what needs to be locked out. We we figured out how we do it. We've then made sure that we have the materials to lock it out. Then we've gathered our our people that are are going to be users, and we've trained them up on what, how, when, where, and why. Um, we've documented that training that it's happened. Probably standardized what you're going to use. Like right. in those things and having that clearly defined. Yep. Because like whether it's this color does this or this particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be this. that should be in the program. Yeah. Is what you know, so that if somebody reads that program and all of a sudden they see, you know, a red personal lock and there's two personal locks on a group, they can sit there and go, Well, there's two people here. Right. And then they can walk up and look at the tags and go, Well, Billy and Joe are working on this so that they're you know they know that it's locked out they know that they shouldn't touch it yeah and they know that let's say that they're like uh joe manager comes down and gets in somebody's ass like we need to be stamping widgets out why isn't this machine on well you can quickly identify well uh joe this is locked out and until we find where joe is at we cannot right we can't start stamping widgets and maybe Joe went home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so then that gets into all little weird things that are okay. So we don't know where Joe's at. So, you know, some people will, well, just cut the lock. I'm pretty sure he left. It's after three. Right. Well, maybe he Went had to a, take a piss. Maybe, no, maybe he crawled up into the machine yeah, or something and, you know, somebody energizes it and, you know, all of a sudden you widgets and the you know bloody widgets start erupting out of the machine oh crap yeah there's joe there's joe yeah or yeah that's what i was saying he went to go to the bathroom and he got caught up for a while he got stuck for a while and now you energize the machine and joe comes back little he he thinks he's still got you locked out and he starts working yep correct um and then um there's a lot of other topics like you know if it's multiple shift uh, facility, um, all kinds of little things like that. Yep. I, yeah, I think there's still a couple other, we'll kind of get into some. A lot of it also is, you know, like we sit there and you know, said is, it's the initial it's the initial work that's big. Identifying what the machines are and making sure that you've tested it. Meaning, is there, you know, going back to that punch press, is 
okay, yeah, we pulled the plug out of the wall, so that should alleviate it. But all of a sudden, we go up and we hit the button, and it still has that one last drop on it. Yeah, oh, shit, we didn't really think about that. That's kind of where I had my next note was about what workers need to do before they kind of begin or service, like begin service or maintenance on something. So you got prepare. You got to prepare for the shutdown. Be mm-hmm. like, okay, from this time to this time, so that way you're, I don't know, if you're, uh, you're, everybody's kind of on the same page that hey, this device is going to be shut down at this time because of, of this reason. Um, then shut it down, disconnect, um, isolate the machine from energy source, apply your lockout or tagout device, and then just what you're saying, release, restrain, or kind of render it. Render it safe to use. Yeah. yeah. And then verify uh, the isolation and de-energization. De-energization. Yep. Is that right? De-energization. That sounds good. <laughs> of the machine. T I O N. Yep. And then kind of what it, what do you think about when it's time to uh, remove their lockout device afterwards? So we talked we talked a little bit about what they do before. Now, what's kind of the procedure afterwards? Well, again, it depends what's in that document. Okay. Because um, going in back is maybe we have multiple shifts. So we've got multiple people on here on the lockout, but we, we're changing shifts. So we may have a control lock on there so that shift one goes to shift two. Is shift one ends and the machine's not fixed. You don't want everybody to take their lock off right. and head for the hills. You would have a transfer lock, which would keep that machine locked out from shift one to shift two to keep people, you know, again, that second shift that comes in there to go, oh, wait a second, this thing, I still can't turn this thing on. So I would also say that you probably need to inspect that machine to, like, Make sure that you put everything back together. You took the thing apart. You de-energized it. You took yeah, it yeah, apart. Yeah, yeah. Now it's got to be back together before you crank that power back on. Should be. Yeah. Yes. So that would be the yeah. the goal would be inspected. But that should be in that procedure. Okay. You know that lockout procedure of what, you know, again, what the energy sources are, what steps you need to do to de-energize it, uh, again to get that uh, potential energy. You know, any stored energy out of it. Right. You know, whatever that may be. And I'd say look, looking out for your homies, that's going to be another thing because you've de-energized the machine that's grinding stuff up and then all of a sudden it's not moving yeah. and somebody else sees it's not moving and they're working in there. So it's being like, hey, get ready to crank this baby back on. It's we, time to make the donuts. We need to make donuts. Yep. So um, one thing that I had down that I wanted to ask you about, see if you had an opinion, like, what do you do if you can't lock out like a piece of equipment? Do you got it? So does that become more of a tag out issue if you can't use a lockout device on a like a certain piece of equipment? Is that um, when we have to get into tagging tagging things out? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I mean, loosely uh, having equipment that's broken tagged for not being used could be you know part of that because you know otherwise where does where does tagging things out come into play well tagging is just is just uh letting people know that it's a caution that it's a problem and then who's assigned to that 
Okay. Is really what you're trying to communicate in the tag out portion. Um, lockout. There's there's so many lockout devices today that I've seen that you know let's say probably not the not doesn't lock something out a hundred percent but let's say you have a forklift that needs to be locked out right they have steering wheel covers right there are like how to say glorified bags that go over to the top of things there are there are things for whether it is um a valve or a plug yeah. or a circuit breaker. You just cover that up with they, They've red. designed so many things. There's so many lockout devices that... Uh, is there probably something out there? I mean, like one of the ones that I like that they have out there is it's like this... Uh, it's got like six foot of uh, wire rope off of it, and you can wrap it in and through things to make sure that somebody can't turn something on and, yeah. and pull it back through. So, I mean, there's there's a, they've thought a lot about this stuff. I mean, heck, they have ones that you can just walk up to that light switch over there and apply a lockout. Yeah, it sneaks on there, and it makes it so you can't move it pretty yep. much. But even like the steering wheel cover, so technically, could somebody... Turn that thing on, well, fire it up, and drive it with their that's stupid the whole thing is lockout tag out. I mean, any any dumbass with some wire cutters can you know, or bolt cutters can go in there and and snap that thing off. Yeah, and energize it. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's that's uh, how to say that's bad. Right. <laughs> if you got people that are doing that, I mean, obviously you haven't gone through the training of if this is on here and you don't know what to do, do nothing. Yeah. Um, how about we might have touched on this in a, a different episode in one of the Q and A's, but touch back on it. Um, what if you kind of are using outside contractors to come in? Are they're still responsible? They're still going to have to follow your procedures, yeah, they should right? Follow, they should follow your lockout tagout procedure. Okay. Um, I got. What about um, we talked a little bit about group lockout. So do you want to touch a little bit on that, like kind of how that procedure goes? That's mostly that every single person would have a lock that's working on that equipment. Well, let's say that we got like one main, or let's say we have a group of six things that need to be locked out on this device so that it it won't crunch bodies up, right? Mm -hmm. So then we take the six keys for that device and then we would i mean they'll, they'll be called a lockout box or there's different ways that you do it and then you would take those keys and put it in the lockout box and then everybody would put their personal lock on that lockout box so that we can say there's six points that need to be locked out we've locked those out now we're going to lock out the machine with each individual person okay so that as we go backwards we can't really you know I'm say we can't re-energize a machine until Dave and Fred and Jim and Bill have all signed off on that, it. Pretty yeah, much, that we've gone through you know a, a set protocol to say, yeah, we've done everything we deem necessary not to crunch up a body. Okay. I hope that answers what you were looking for. Yep. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about the annual review of the lockout tagout procedure. Well, it should be an annual review, but it should be 
I'll just say there should be a caveat in there that says, hey, man, if we bring something new in here, we don't need to wait until the annual review to put yeah. a lockout tag. So, again, anytime it's a dynamic document. So, anytime we're bringing new equipment in, maybe changing a process, um, we need to make sure that it accounts for that. And then the annual review is just somebody going through there and making sure that everything's still the way it was before. Yeah. Because people love to change stuff or augment it. So walking up there and going, how do you do what you do? Right. And having them, well, every day, you know, I need to blow this thing out. Yep. So to lock it out, I pull this out and I do this. You know, having somebody that's, you know, a second set of eyes, you know, maybe trained up on, you know, the equipment or whatever can go, well, we got a problem here. Well, and a lot of times it's the people are changing. Yeah. So you might not do it the same way that I do it, and I might yeah. be acting a little bit differently. So if you update that procedure with your people, yeah. kind of as new people start, um, and making sure that that new employee that started knows the knows the procedure has been trained on it, knows what his responsibility is. And pe- people in the typically want to go home. Yeah. So I've never understood it, but a lot of time, safety professionals and management will get it in their head that they know everything. And a lot of times, if you just walk up to, you know, Joe Workerby and just go, hey, man, how, <laughs> what are you scared of? Yeah. They will tell you stuff that you're like, wow, I didn't, I had no, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I think that's pretty good information. Um, how about, you got any thoughts on like preparing for an inspection, a lockout, tagout inspection, like uh um, what like a safety person would need to do to be ready? I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, I think most of it is, you know, you just have to, you really need to do those audit, audit steps there where I was talking about, where you get the document out and really kind of go through it with the mic cone. Okay. Um, you need to make sure that your training is adequate. You need to make sure that you have lockout devices. You need to make sure that they're readily available. If not even, you know, some people have like one little lunchbox full of stuff. But where's the lunchbox? Well, having, you know, if, if this one device has a lot, has a single lockout device that's needed, why isn't that, low, you know, in close proximity of, of the equipment that would be used to lock it out? Okay. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to go, we'll stay on the topic of lockout tag out, but we'll move into our dumbass of the week segment. And this can be multiple dumbasses because I want to talk a little bit about some common like shortcuts that people make, um, and kind of why they'll be detrimental to worker safety. So like duplicate keys, like handing out key to like things where somebody's got the same key for the, for different, you know, for... When, they got the same key for yep. this certain lock and you two people can handle it or somebody's got a master key. Yes. Um, that's, that, that's, I that's understand a, why sometimes people have that stuff. Yeah. But a lot of times it just negates the, right. the reason that you're doing it. Um, yeah, it seems I, stupid. I can see, you know, like if it was a system lock, meaning 
a system lock meaning we're going to use it to lock out a, a piece of equipment and there's six points yeah i can see that those six locks could be key to like yeah because you don't want to sit there like you know the 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 old school janitor that would <laughs> right. fucking have this key ring that he would pull out and have 50 keys and he's sorting through them trying to figure out which one goes to which so i can understand that yeah in a key to like in a system but to me anything that is a personal lock right has to be keyed different yeah because otherwise i mean maybe somebody doesn't mean mean to but all of a sudden they take off the wrong lock and you know let's let's do that instance of you know it's the end of the day and you know somebody takes off the wrong lock and billy's locks in there and billy's actually in the machine but somebody took billy's lock off so yeah. it looks like it's wayne and it's like nah man i'm i know i saw him cut that yeah we got to get this going and granted that's a that's a failure in the, the the protocol but that whole personal protective equipment being that lock right failed because it wasn't the right it wasn't the right thing yeah or in a smaller facility where maybe we're sharing a lock and there's multiple yeah. key and we got the don't you got the lock go yeah. back there and get the lock the one lock that we have yeah. and so you throw that on and you and i both have a key to it I don't know where you're at, and all of a sudden we fire that thing back up. So I think it, I'm sure it becomes a problem in larger places, but I can really see that being an issue in like a smaller place where, yeah, you only got a couple different locks. They all look the same, and you lock out every piece of equipment that you're working on with the same lock. So, so keep each other safe. Um, yeah, sh sharing locks seems like could be a potential problem there with a pretty and, dangerous consequences so yeah when you look at it i mean they don't go bad you're right <laughs> i mean uh so you're looking at a, a ten dollar investment that's a really cheap insurance policy yep and i think that that's just to go back i know that we've gone through this before but i think it's it's good to reiterate it is when you're buying personal protective equipment you have already said we're somehow putting ourselves in harm's way. So we're going to try to minimize that the best we can. So it's kind of like an insurance policy where we're trying to minimize, you know, the, the, the full onslaught or full damage. It's pretty cheap insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, let's move on to uh, a few questions for this week. Um, if anybody else has got any questions, I, in, earlier in this episode, I kind of give you the way to get a hold of us. So please ask questions if you have any, um, and we'll talk about them on the show. So number one, should I tether my tools even when no one is working underneath me? Um, in a dropped, dropped object culture, there's, there's a couple different thought processes out there that say yes. And probably the biggest one is... When you're working at heights, and let's say that you you you've uh, a lot of times people deem a zone where hey man there are people working overhead don't be here because things can fall from from uh, the floor above or whatever. Yeah. Well, if I'm if I'm the guy you know putting a fastener in or doing a job you know that requires that tool and I drop the tool, what do I have to do? Right. I have to go retrieve that tool. Most tools that are dropped multiple stories are not really good tools afterwards. So it's it's kind of a two-pronged process, meaning one is, yeah, dropped out, you know, tethering tools is to keep it from busting somebody's head open. Yep. 
but I think you have to complement it with the fact that, you know, if I'm, if that tool tether, you know, just from a cost benefit standpoint is if I tether my drill and I drop my, I drop my drill and I don't have to go buy a new Milwaukee, you know, right. Drill. It more than pays for it. So it's, it's, Lower cost ownership on the tool. Yep. It's uh, there's. I, I guess what I'm saying is, sometimes I think that we get into looking at it's just a well. There's nobody here. Why well, would I, why would I do that? And it, Maybe there's somebody there part of the time. Yeah. Or what? What are you dropping it on? Too. I mean, yeah. you're protecting the tool, but what if it falls on? Oh. Whatever piece of equipment that you have down yeah. there, you drop it on some ten thousand dollar piece of equipment. And it smashes that. Yeah. You drop a drill from. You know, forty feet yeah, in the I air, think, and, and it I hits think something. that too often people approach it from the standpoint of, well, there's nobody going to work. Be, you know, I'm working on, I don't know, maybe like a cell tower, and there's nobody. I'm the only guy there. You right. Know? So if I drop it, I mean, it's going to hit the ground. Right. Well, I'm I'm chubby guy. I'm not going to want to climb all the way down a cell phone tower to get whatever. I'm sure they have some weird tools that I don't even know what they are. For sure. Know? Yep. So, all right, how about what are benefits of an SRL versus a retractable to kind of justify the price difference? Well, you're talking a personal versus? Yes. Yeah, I think I, I'm guessing I'd be talking like a, a six-foot retractable versus a six-foot lanyard, and one's $125 and one is $35. Well, so what's the advantage of going with one over the other to well, the justify first, the that first, price difference? The first one is... If you're not working at about 18 and a half feet, which you really got to think about it, 18 and a half feet, walk around your facility. Right. There's only a few things that you're doing where you're over 18 and a half feet. Most, and, and when you look at whether it's general industry or construction, you're, you're required to tie off at four or six feet. Well, if you got a six foot shock absorbing lanyard, there's no way that that thing does anything t- for you until you're. 18 and a half feet. Right. So, you know, I think that the case for... Because uh, you got the device. You got how far the device stretches when mm-hmm. you fall because it's going to fully expand. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the height that you are. Yeah, you got fall clearance. Right. Fall clearance on uh, an SRL versus just a shock-absorbing lanyard, you know, is completely different. Yeah. Um, and I think... You're going to see lanyards continue to to go away. Yeah. They're never going to go all the way away because people are sometimes cheap. Yeah. Um. And you know they've caught up with some of the technology things that were problems in the past. Like you would have people that would try to move and they, they would catch and maybe make somebody you know yeah trip or uh, trip or or fall or you know. Um. But as they continue to do them, so I guess basically. There's not that much difference in cost. Really not. I mean, when you're sitting there talking a single leg to a single leg, you're probably maybe twice the price, but we're going from base price of a $60 to a base price of $120, um, and you don't have as many things to sit there and think about. Right. Because in most situations, you probably need both of them, if you're if you're using a if you're using a shock absorbing lanyard, there's probably something that you're doing under 18 and a half foot that right. you should that you should think about. Well, and you also got to figure how quick is that 
retractable stop. So if you fall and you're in a shock absorbing lanyard, you're gonna take a fall. You're taking you're still taking a fall. Like yep. instead of taking a eighteen inch or twenty four inch fall in a retractable, you're taking a that you do limit eighteen foot fall. That's a great point. You do limit or how to say you do increase the percentage of times that you'll be able to self-rescue. Yeah. Because you haven't fallen below grade. Yeah. I mean, when you sit there and think, I've fallen 16 feet. Right. You're hanging something. I'm sure you're not the lucky guy that they walk up and everybody's laughing at you and they can reach up and get a hold of you and, you know, cut the lanyard and let you down the last two feet. Most of the time, you're literally hanging off a bridge just sitting there and they, they, they have time to set up the news yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they still haven't figured out how they're going to get you. You're well, still, and you're still told, just sitting there swinging. Yeah, and they they told me to put on my harness <laughs> real tight, but I didn't get it on quite tight enough today. Uh oh. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't sneak out of this as, thing. As as you're on the news, sitting there dangling like a. I don't yeah. know. Were you here in the Quad Cities when my dad worked for the Thunder, the basketball team? Were you here when the Thunder was here? Uh, I think they were here the. The first year I got here was, I think, their last year. So that would have been 96? No. That, so Okay, so it was a while because they, they wrapped up shop about 2001 Did they? Ish. I mean, I remember going to one or two games. Yeah. So they had a, a mascot that was Thor. It was Thor, the god of thunder. So it wasn't the Marvel Thor. It was like the ripoff. It looked like a yeah. caveman with a big beard, Thor. Yeah. yeah. And he, they lowered him down. You know, on the cables to come down, and his thing got stuck. And so, old Thor, about six, about six five, three hundred pounds, just up there hanging when they brought him down. So, that made that come to mind. But uh, third question, I'm positive this is something that we've touched on a little bit before in a respiratory episode. But so we can just hit it real fast. Do disposable respirators need to be fit tested? You you said the key word is respirator. So typically, when you say a respirator, yes, because yeah. it's going to be a NIOSH. Again, people, look at the box. If you see a NIOSH-approved device anywhere on that box, anywhere on the box, right? you should fit test it. Okay. Um, typically, they'll if there's two straps on it, that's another way to kind of tell. If you look at the box and it says... Nuisance mask. Notice it didn't say respirator. It said nuisance mask or dust mask. Right. And you don't see that NIOSH. Typically, it's going to be a one strap. But it's kind of like you might as well just uh, go to Walmart and buy a red bandana and do it like Cowboy eighteen hundred style because it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, and you're not you're not guaranteed any any filtration or protection if you're doing it for a reason if they're wearing this piece of equipment for a reason then most likely you need to be fit tested yeah if they're just doing it because they're in their basement maybe they're there's a little the weird they're sweeping up something yeah yeah plane next to you or whatever yeah i get that so all right well that wraps that one up so in two for thursday here we're going to take on a couple more dumbasses of the week These guys aren't safety related, but I saw two stories that came out this week. In the same week, 
that was like, what is going on here? And it's our dumb criminals. Oh. And so the first one I got that I just saw yesterday, it's a, the headline is, man with gun, forehead tattoo, charged with illegally possessing a firearm. So here, I'll show you a picture. There's, there's the man right there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically got a, uh, what, Smith & Wesson, like, tattooed right between his eyes on his forehead. Oh, my goodness. But, but it's, and what's funny is it's got an extended magazine coming out. There you go. So he slammed his Toyota Camry into a power pole on Saturday night, and firefighter, firefighters saw him toss a handgun into the grass. Um, they ch- charged him with uh, driving under a suspended license, driving too fast for conditions, and unlawful carrying of a firearm. Um, <laughs> he's prohibited from owning a gun because of a rap sheet that includes multiple narcotics convictions. He isn't shy about his fondness for guns. He's got a tattoo of a handgun <laughs> prominently displayed on right his forehead. Right above his right eyebrow. Yeah, right so the, the police um, posted something to their Facebook page noting that, in quotes, the real, the real weapon was placed in property uh, in evidence. <laughs> they didn't take the forehead tattoo from him. So that... That was guy number one of try not to get arrested for having a gun uh, if you have a gun tattooed on your forehead. But number two, I don't know if you heard about this one, but a guy called the cops over uh, <laughs> being sold bad drugs. He took he took his meth down to the station. So this one said, uh, 49-year-old in Florida contacted the office to complain about a bad reaction he had after smoking meth. He alleged that he wanted to press charges against the person who sold him the bad drugs. In an effort to assist Kelly, the detectives told him they would gladly test any of the remaining meth to ensure there was nothing wrong with the drugs. So the guy showed up to, or he took him up on the offer, showed up to the police office so the officers could test his drugs. The police informed him that he had purchased meth just as he intended, and he was then arrested <laughs> and booked on charges of possession of methamphetamine. So put on a $5,000 bond. So following the bizarre event, the sheriff's office decided to have a little fun, and they said they'll continue to offer a free service to anyone who, had, who wishes to have their drugs tested for purity. Their detectives are uh, always ready to assist anyone who believes they were misled in their illegal drug purchase. So can you imagine... Being so high on meth that you're like, something's wrong with this meth. I gotta take this to the cops and have them check it out. Tell me how pure this is. Yeah, so, couple of dumbasses of the week. Yeah. So, you can hit the music on that one again. So, there you go. That's it for us today. Um, we really appreciate everyone listening to us. Uh, definitely reach out to us with any comments. Tell the new people that, uh, that haven't heard of us. Tell your friends, family, uh, to give us a listen. We really appreciate growing this audience. Um, and really having you guys kind of hang out with us for 45 minutes. So uh, we can make you safer. Uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. So appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, visit us at quadcitysafety.com uh, if you need a fix until then. Uh, but we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon's Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at QuadCitySafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.